Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to Essex Church, where this community of Kensington Unitarians meets each week for worship, as well as for other activities during the week. Welcome to you all. Some opening words by Bet Spinecker. I think say something of, of a gathered community. As we gather together, may we learn to recognise and affirm the pieces of possibility, the bits of good that we bring. May we encourage rather than control, love rather than possess, enable rather than envy, allowing our individual gifts to weave a patchwork a patchwork of peace. Each of us is indispensable if we are to minister to a broken and a wounded world, for together, in our gathered diversity, we form the whole. Oh, and I've got a... It's one of those Sufi stories, this, that kind of... It's, it's, it's subtle, perhaps... Um, But I I think it's about the importance of observation, Um, and it involves involves a smuggler, Mustafa, who took his straw-laden donkey across the border, often. And one day he was stopped by a customs officer who eyed him suspiciously. Come on, what have you got in that straw, he asked. Are you carrying any contraband goods across the border? If you are, you know you'll have to pay a fee... Look for yourself, said Mustafa. I'm hiding nothing. And Julie, the customs officer, poked around in the straw, on the donkey's back, couldn't find anything, reluctantly had to let the man and the donkey through. Next day, same thing happened. And the next day, and the next. Every day, that customs officer stopped Mustafa, searched the straw on the donkey's back, never, ever discovered any smuggled goods. Sometimes he'd look in the donkey's mouth. Sometimes he searched Mustafa. Sometimes he'd look under the donkey's tail. Nope, absolutely nothing. A fruitless search. Nevertheless, that customs officer still suspected Mustafa of smuggling, vowed never to stop searching until he had the evidence. And do you know this went on for 10 years until that customs officer finally retired? Case unsolved. But even though he was no longer working, he did occasionally think of it, about that clever smuggler, and wonder, you know, should he have searched a little more carefully? What might he have found? Maybe he was smuggling diamonds somewhere, and he'd hidden them in his shoes, or the donkey's shoes for that moment. On and on it went in his mind. One day, that customs officer, now retired, was walking through the marketplace. He noticed a familiar face in the crowd. It was Mustafa without his donkey. Hey, you, come over here. You're the man who came to the border every day with the donkey laden with straw, weren't you? Hmm, yes I am, he said. And you were smuggling, weren't you? Come on now, I'm retired, you can tell me. You must have been very crafty. How did you do it? Were you smuggling? Well, yes, I was, replied Mustafa. I knew it. Come on, what were you smuggling? Donkeys, said Mustafa with a big smile. I don't know if many of you have ever tried to write a hymn. It is not easy. We did it at college and they were terrible. 
So, in a service that is a lot about creativity, it gives me great pleasure to invite a real hymn writer to come and speak to you now. You might want to find the hymn, it's number 168, Think of a World. Yes, that was a misleading introduction. Um, Back when I was a young teenager, I was um, an urchin, which is the youth member of the United Reformed Church. And um, there was a group of us um, who met on a Sunday morning in Cambridge, um, led by somebody called Doreen Newport, who was bunty to her friends, but Mrs. Newport to us. It's quite uh, formal times. And um, she was very musical. She was a keen singer, a keen pianist. And she was always forcing us out of our comfort zone to sing... um, Sometimes to, to sing to places like old people's home. I think they must have, they must have all curled up and died after we'd gone. But um, one, one Sunday she said um, she wanted us to all contribute um, things that we would miss most if, if they were taken away from the world. And we came out with any number of terribly inappropriate suggestions like Mot the Hoople and things like that. But she very tolerantly wrote down everything we'd um, suggested and we put them together in what we thought was a good order and eventually this hymn appeared looking <coughs> oddly much better um, in the course of the f- next few days when she produced it next Sunday and, um, in, um, and said this was the hymn that between us we'd written. It was perhaps rather a kind way of describing it. And subsequently um, we were told that this hymn had been published and we were given £100 in royalties and it's a very democratic church. We, we were allowed to vote what to spend this £100 on and we voted to spend it all on cider. <laughs> We had a big party. So um, that's the hymn we're just about to sing. I know you'll be pleased to know the money for it was well spent. (laughs) This this next reading is by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Some of you may know her. um, She's a Jungian psychotherapist. And uh, she wrote um, a famous book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, which is a collection of fairy stories with an analysis. Fabulous. This is about the importance of nourishing all our creative lives. Creativity, she says, creativity is a shape changer. One minute it takes this form, the next that. It's like a dazzling spirit who appears to us all, yet is hard to describe, for no one agrees on what they saw in that brilliant flash. Are the wielding of pigments and canvas, or paint chips and wallpaper, evidence of its existence? How about pen and paper? Flower borders on the garden path? Building a university? Yes, yes. Touching with love the leaves of a plant. Finding one's voice. Loving someone well. Yes. Tending to a marriage like the orchard that it is. Finding the shapely word, sewing a blue curtain. All are of the creative life. All of these are from the river beneath the river which flows and flows into our lives. Some say the creative life is in ideas. Some say it's in the doing. It seems, in most instances, to be in a simple being. It's not virtuosity, although that is very fine in itself. It's the love of something, having so much love for something, whether a person, an image, an idea, the land or humanity, that all that can be done with the overflowing of love is to create. It's not a matter of wanting to. It's not a singular act of will. One solely must. 
The creative force flows over the terrain of our psyches, looking for the natural hollows, the valleys, the channels that exist within us. And we become its tributaries, its basins. We are its pools and its ponds, its streams and its sanctuaries. The wild creative force flows into whatever beds we have for it, those we are born with as well as those we dig, dig with our own hands. Lovely, lovely words from Clarissa Pinkola Estes. I would like to share some paintings uh, with you from the 14th to the 20th century. Some of the paintings are in the National Gallery in London, so if you have a few uh, spare hours, you can maybe go and uh, look at them. Uh, Jim is helping me with the computer uh, projection. This is computer projection is a bit of a mystery to me, so I'm very grateful for Jim uh, to do this. Um, the first painting, which is going to come up uh, in a minute, is by Duccio, uh, and it's called The Annunciation. Uh, and this painting was painted in Siena, and it was put in a solemn uh, put, uh, act of procession and celebration. It was put up in the Cathedral of Siena. And... Uh, um, and it was painted, not, what's interesting, there are many things interesting about it. Uh, it was painted not long after a split occurred between the Roman and the Greek church. And they had many disagreements, of course, the Roman and the Greek church. And one of them was about the importance of religious painting. Um, the Greek church had of course a wonderful tradition of icon painting and they believed that uh, icon paintings were mostly painted by monks of the period of uh, prayer and fasting that the painting actually incorporated an aspect of the divine itself whereas the western church uh, did not go along with this view and they said the function of painting was to illustrate uh, the, or to make visible the biblical stories. So it was a narrative painting. And that was actually very important in those times because most of the people could not read or write. Also, uh, the Gospels were read out in Latin, uh, which the ordinary people couldn't understand. So um, this idea that painting should make the biblical stories visible uh, gave an enormous um, push uh, to painting. And so here we have a painting where we have the angel Gabriel and the Virgin Mary, the Annunciation. Uh, if you look at it, it's set in a sort of slightly um, surreal space. You can see that the painter hasn't really studied anatomy or a perspective, um, and that wasn't really important to him. We have a gold background, it's, spa it's based in this um, 
in a spiritual space, I would say in an unearthly space. And it's it's an encounter between the Virgin Mary and the angel Gabriel. Uh, It's very moving, it's a very beautiful painting. uh, but it has this, um, well, if you, if you compare it with later art, it, it has a slightly, um, yeah, I would say, uh, unreal quality, uh, which makes it, in my view, very attractive. Um, so I'd like to move you 200 years forward to a painting by Titian, also in the National Gallery in London. And uh, this is also about an encounter between a human being and the divine. It's Ariadne and Dionysus. Um, Now, if you look at this, of course, you can see that uh, Titian knew anatomy very well. He could paint the figure very well. Um, It's an early Titian. He still uses rather strong and colorful and vivid colors, um, uh, the, the god, the divine element that uh, is encountered by Ariadne is of course very different from uh, Mary and uh, the Annunciation. Um, as we know Dionysus is the god of wine, the god of ecstasy, he brings all these satires, uh, these things with him, the, the animals, the uh, wild people, the dance, the music. It is, it is a moment of um, uh, ecstasy, really. Um, and uh, it's uh, an amazing, amazing painting, quite a large painting. Maybe some of you have seen it. it uh, um, so it's again a, a narrative painting, though. That is what it has in common with um, the uh, other painting that I showed you. And it's uh, it's part of a, a spiritual journey. Ariadne, you probably know the story of Ariadne. She was abandoned um, by her lover on the island of Naxos, and in a state of abandonment, she met uh, this god, Dionysus, who appeared to her, and uh, uh, she never looked back. <laughs> so, um, another story of a, an, an encounter between. Uh, human and uh, divine. Uh, And also what is quite interesting, you have a landscape element in this painting, but the landscape doesn't really matter that much. It's more a backdrop. Um, So this uh, was painted in um, 1521, I think, or 23. So about 200 years after the first painting I showed you. And the interest in landscape intensified uh, during the next centuries. And so the next painting I would like to show you is a 19th century painting and it's by Turner. I suppose many of you know this painting. And it also, the landscape is very important here, unlike any other. It also tells a story. It tells a story of a battleship um, being drawn to its last birth. It's also, and the landscape is beautiful, it's a sunset. So it's a painting about um, impermanence, um, a last journey, um, transformation. So I think it is also a very, very spiritual painting. 
uh, and we have we have the ships here, and we have we have the sunset, and um, I think the landscape is probably more important than um, and the ship is going is on this last journey. It's going to be going to be broken up. Uh, it was painted. Uh, in 1823, I think, or something like that. So it was first half of the 19th century uh, uh, by, uh, by Turner. It's in the National Gallery. You also find many beautiful... Turner loved the sea and sunsets. Uh, you find also many beautiful paintings by Turner in the Tate Britain, of course. So uh, landscape painting was... Um, the big theme and then a big theme in the 19th century. Of course, narrative painting continued, but it was sort of seeking um, the spiritual in, in nature was a big theme uh, in the 19th century. So uh, the next painting I would like to show you is by, oh, is by Van Gogh. Oh, no, that's not it. Uh, oh. Um, well, uh, ah yes, that's it. That's it. That's the Van Gogh. Uh, and again, it is a sunset, uh, and there's some people there uh, about the relationship between uh, people and nature. And it was painted in Al in 1888, and at because Van Gogh, he wrote many letters, and beautiful letters, mostly to his brother Seal. And at the same time, he um, wrote this letter. He wrote in one of his letters, and he said, if we study Japanese art, we see a man who undoubtedly was wise, philosoph philosophic and intelligent, who spends his time doing what? Studying the distance between the Earth and the Moon? No. Studying Bismarck's policy? No. He studies a single blade of grass. But this blade of grass leads him to draw every plant and then the season and then the wide aspects of the countryside, then animals, then the human figure. So he passes his life, and life is too short to do the whole. Come on now, isn't it almost a true religion which these simple Japanese teachers, who live in nature as though they themselves were flowers? <laughs> I, whether the Japanese are so simple is another matter, but I think it is a beautiful idea that, that um, this intense study of nature uh, is uh, immensely enriching to people and it is definitely was for, for Van Gogh part of his spiritual path. And we see this here, we can see some, we can see I think that it's inspired by Japanese woodcuts, uh, a fairly uh, simple but very strong and effective color scheme of lots of yellow, bit of blue, bit of orange, and uh, you have the people there, how they relate to the nature, what's 
nature around them, what is going on. Um, it is again not a very, it's not a very realistic, naturalistic reproduction of nature. Nature is really the, um, the projection of uh, the artist's inner world, I would think, in that. I mean, the two merge, looking out and looking inside. So, um, uh, yeah, so we have this painting by Van Gogh. Um, I would also like to show you an interesting painting. Um, that was the one we had first. So that was painted a little bit later uh, by Monet. And what I like about this painting is you have the people and the landscape and they merge into one. The people are there. They're not the most important thing. Uh, it is really, I feel this in a way, is, this painting in a way is saying we human beings are part of the universe. We are part of all there is. We may be not the most important part, but we just there as part of uh, uh, what exists. So um, it's also a painting that has an amazing luminosity and uh, you can also find it in the National Gallery in London. Um, so that was the 19th century. Um, then at the beginning of the 20th century something quite amazing happened and that was the beginning of abstract art. And um, Shall we move on to the Kandinsky please? Thank you. Um, and one of the pioneers of abstract art was Kandinsky and he wrote actually almost 100 years ago in 1912 he wrote a book uh, and he gave it the title about the spiritual in art and uh, he had the idea, the inspiration that you that didn't actually have to paint um, physical objects or landscapes or people or anything that actually colors and shapes in themselves had an emotional and spiritual significance and um, so that he formulated these ideas in his book about the spiritual in art and he moved from having painted um, landscapes quite a lot to uh, abstraction so um, and using colors and shapes in a particular way uh, and the, these colors and shapes did have a spiritual significance for him and I mean if you look at this particular painting I, again it has got to me it's got a very universal feeling um, I, he just called it blue circles and he's very careful about um, not putting too much of an interpretation onto, onto the viewer. It's really um, for um, the individual to complete. Uh, so, and, and of course, abstract art, although it uh, was very controversial at first, became a, a very important 
art form throughout the 20th century. And um, I just, as the last one, I would like to show you a painting by Roscoe. Um, again, it is abstract, it has uh, beautiful colours. Uh, uh, there are some very beautiful Roscoe paintings in the Tate Modern, by the way. Uh, I feel that these paintings are really like a window to the windows to the universe. It's very much the horizontal and the vertical and uh, the opening up uh, to... It's about an opening up to the universe, I feel. Roscoe never said that. Roscoe... Uh, unlike, say, Kandinsky or Van Gogh, didn't really like to talk about his art. So we don't know what he really thought. But, um, I mean, this is what I uh, feel quite strongly about um, this painting. So we have a journey. Well, we have a journey from, uh, from in Western painting, from narrative painting, I feel, to uh, landscape and then to abstraction uh, and uh, so that the, uh, and there is I feel a strong spiritual uh, sense of search behind that uh, development because what's happening in the art world now well I feel I haven't got my head around it quite yet uh, it's all gone very conceptual so um, I think uh, I want to uh, leave it here and uh, again leave you to um, draw your own conclusions uh, we're going to have a little workshop uh, afterwards at 12.30 I've brought some art materials along uh, and you're all very welcome to join in and you don't need any um, experience and we're going to explore colours and shapes and what they mean to us uh, personally um, and uh, yes we'll, uh, we also hope we're going to have some fun I mean it'll be very very loosely painted uh, uh, based on some ideas of Kandinsky but um, uh, it's mainly about um, enjoying the colours and the shapes and uh, seeing whether you can get some something out of it and uh, I promise everybody will have a little painting to take home And so in the week ahead, may we find ever more beautiful and creative ways in which to live our lives, allowing the spirit of life and of love to remind us of that beauty that is always present, both around us and within. Amen. Go well and blessed be you.